0: So guys, I have been terrible about responding to my mailbag, uh, my questions, comments, all those things you guys sent in, which I really, really appreciate. And and that's why I'm kind of like, before I go any further in this Bible study stuff, like let's, let's just take a week and I just want to respond to some of the things that you've been sending in. So today we're going to talk about UFOs, demons, Iceland, Naked Noah, the end of the world, and snakes with legs. Which, you know, if you're a snake with legs, that kind of defeats the whole point of being a snake right (laughs) we're gonna see what that's all about and at the end of today's episode i want to share a few thoughts about the success of this podcast in just 14 episodes and i'm very thankful for it but what ties all these questions together today is that they all deal with things that are weird and so if you don't want to hear about weird stuff then i don't even know what you're doing here in the first place but if you do like hearing weird stuff and how that weird stuff might intersect with biblical truth then you couldn't be in a better place. So, let's get weird. Welcome to Weird Stuff in the Bible, where we explore scripture passages that are bizarre, perplexing, or just plain weird. This is Luke Taylor, and today I'm just going to be answering your questions. And so, this is the 14th episode. Over the past 13 episodes, we have covered the first 10 verses of the book of Jude. We did a series of episodes talking about the Nephilim, and here lately there's been three or four episodes that were really heavily focused on Satan. And so that's what a lot of these questions are going to revolve around. And and uh, I'm going to start with one that's just very near and dear to my heart. Aliens. <laughs> so from Twain, we hear this. In this topic, I'm fascinated by Matthew twenty four thirty seven, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And what do we see all over the news these days? UFOs. And what have the UFOologists been claiming for decades? Abductions. And what do the abductees consistently claim? That they're being used in a hybridization program, and that these hybrids are currently on Earth, hiding in plain sight. It's a very interesting topic, but one that will get you a lot of strange looks. Well, I'm not personally worried about strange looks. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing a podcast called Weird Stuff in the Bible. But um, I just wanted to start with this question because it is kind of fascinating. If you hear some of the UFO abduction stories, there are so many of them out there and you just start to wonder like, what is it? What is this all about? You know, and, and may, and I might get into it someday on this podcast a little bit. I know some people hear UFOs and they just tune out. They're not, by, by now they're not even listening anymore. <laughs> you know, if you, but if, but if you are, if you're someone who just doesn't give any credibility to this whole UFO phenomenon, I, here's what I'd say: You've probably never looked into it that much. There's actually like very, I would say, irrefutable, very difficult to refute, very well documented evidence of the UFO stories. And if you've ever looked into it, you know this to be true. The only people who blow it off are are really just people who've never looked into it. Uh, actually, one Bible teacher I'll say that has done a lot of work in this area is Chuck Missler, and he's gotten a, he's written a few books about it. And he's got videos online. You can watch those, you can learn about, like, very, um like I said, well-documented by large groups of people who experience things like finding, I guess, what you might call, what we might call spaceships, but Chuck Missler has other ideas of what they are. But what appeared to be spaceships that are in places, there was one in England, there was, of course, the whole thing in New Mexico in, in America. So, guys, listen, I I don't believe in aliens, but... I'm very sympathetic to the idea that there could be demons who are messing with people, making them think that it's aliens. Okay? And maybe you hear that and you're like, well, why did demons mess with some people but not with other people? Like, why, why did the UFO encounters only seem to happen to certain people? Why aren't why doesn't everyone ever see a UFO if these are real things, if they're really so common? Okay? Well, there's an apologist named Hugh Ross, and he he's attempted to answer that question. And so this is what he said about alien abduction stories. He said whatever is behind witchcraft and the occult is also behind these residual UFO reports. We document this in our book, making the point that the only people who have had close encounters with residual UFOs are people involved in the occult, or have a close relative involved in the occult. Basically, we say that our hypothesis about UFOs is scientifically testable. Get the occult out of your life, and that'll be the end of your close UFO encounters. Bring the occult into your life, and sooner or later, you're likely to have these experiences. So the fact that we see a correlation between the degree of occult activity and the percentage of the population that's having these kinds of of encounters implies indeed that fallen angels are behind the occult. Demonology and witchcraft are responsible for this, and as we document in our book, when a person has close encounters, it's never beneficial, it's always deleterious. At best, the encounters lead to recurring or terrifying nightmares Worst case, people have been killed or injured in these encounters. Okay, so some strong words. That, that this is from Hugh Ross. Now, Hugh Ross, I've spoken to him before. He's a very um, decent Bible teacher. Very, uh, I, I'd say, a credible source when it comes to apologetics and thinking rationally about things. He's not some weirdo. He's not some nut job. He's a, uh, he's he's a very rational thinker. And uh, and so Hugh Ross has he's written several books, but um, he sees a connection. And this would be my suspicion too that there's a connection between the occult being present in someone's life and having these UFO encounters. I'm not saying every person who's ever been involved, or who's ever claimed to see a UFO, that they're involved in witchcraft. I'm not saying that. I Normal people can stumble into things over their heads. Christians can stumble into things that, that you know they've never seen before. Doesn't mean that they're evil or something. But there does seem to be a correlation that I, I would say I've, My suspicion and what Hugh Russ is talking about here, there's a correlation between people who mess with spiritual things and people who get messed with by demonic forces. And so I think if you open yourself up to witchcraft and evil spirits, you're more likely to maybe think that you have had a UFO or alien encounter. Okay, and there's all kinds of degrees of alien encounters. I don't generally believe people who say they've been literally abducted by aliens, but um, I think people can have visitations by spiritual beings and that they could be deceived into thinking that those beings were aliens of some sort visitors from another planet. Okay. I also find this subject fascinating because more and more we're seeing things leak out in the news of people claiming to have been visited by angelic or, or alien beings, uh, people claiming that, you know, that there's the government's covering up a lot of stuff that's been discovered over the years. And so there seems to be more and more about this that's been leaking out. And I, and I could see this playing into deceptions that arise during the end times as as people like, you know, people in the government try to explain the rapture and why a bunch of people all of a sudden disappeared. You know, you could very easily see them claiming, oh, well, it's these aliens and they've been visiting us for years. You know, you could you could see them trotting something like that out there. And so that's that's something I just see kind of the pieces coming together on. Not all Christians see it that way, and, and that's fine. Some of them are going to think I'm just a total nut job <laughs> for even talking about this for the first few minutes of the podcast. Um, but I'm going to throw this out there, too. You'll often see UFO skeptics make the claim that UFOs only seem to visit Western countries like the USA or Europe. And so they'll say, therefore, these theories or these myths, it must be a purely, purely Western civilization thing. They'll show an, a map of all the alien encounters. It's only going to be Europe in America sometimes. I just want you to know that is absolutely not true. There are UFO stories going back hundreds or thousands of years. Um, I mean, actually, yes, thousands of years. There are UFO stories going back to all kinds of ancient peoples. Um, they talk about the sky people coming down. They came down in vessels. They interacted with humans. This is definitely not just some American thing. This is this is something that is is all through history. So... Just want to I just want to mention that too. Okay, I need to speed up my responses a little bit. That this is why I don't normally respond to mailbags because I try to keep my episodes twenty to twenty five minutes. And so if I go on to a mailbag response to like a really good question, if I spend five minutes on it, you know that's like a fourth of the episode, or it might push my episode more to like the thirty minute mark. And I I just don't want to do thirty minute episodes on this show. So because I know I'm I'm a busy guy, I'm sure you're busy. I'm just always trying to figure out how to be better at condensing myself. So I'm going to try to speeding up a little bit here and answering these next few questions a little quicker. Um, Got a comment here uh, where it is on my episode about um, where I talked about that. I think this was again with the Nephilim um, that Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be at the days of the coming of the son of man. I had a comment in response to that. He says when he was saying that it'll be like the days of Lot, I think you're right, which is also meant that it will be just as bad and sinful as it was before God sent the great flood. God bless brother looking forward to these topics that make one ponder. I didn't know the name of the person who sent that, but um yeah, I and, and appreciate that comment. Thank you. Let me go back and actually read Jesus's entire like that passage where he's talking about the days of Noah. Luke 17 says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So as I read that, you know, the the first and foremost thing that I think Jesus is conveying is that the end times are going to come surprisingly. In these verses, it says people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, making plans for the future, and then all of a sudden they were wiped out. And so, but that's like the the initial, like, I think that's the main point of what he's getting at. A lot of us who try to dig into this prophecy stuff, we kind of look at the cultural circumstances too, of Lot's day. The culture of Noah's day. Um, and we see some parallels. We see some parallels there between what's what was happening then and what is happening now. Okay, like with Lot and he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, you just think about the acceptance of homosexuality in Sodom at that time. And then you look at modern times and you see the y and Z, the, you know, all that gender confusion stuff. It just makes you wonder: is that also on Jesus' mind? as he talks about the future, and he's prophesying what it'll be like in the last days. It would seem very plausible that, you know, not only was Jesus talking about how the end times will come suddenly, but maybe some of the other son- the, the sins that were going on in Lot's day might be repeated in these times. You can look at Noah's day with the Nephilim and wonder, is there a parallel of that in the last days? The violence that's talk- talked about in the days of Noah, whether that's a signpost of the end, so it just I just think these things are worth asking. Actually, there's another comment I had on this. Um, it's not really a question. It's just an observation. This is from Ronnie. And it was also left on one of the episodes about the Nephilim. He says, yeah, when they came back, this time something was different. I think he's talking about when the Nephilim came back, because that was one of the subjects of my Nephilim episodes. He says, they didn't breed like they did. The, these books from the Bible that are banned or not put in the Bible has more information on them. The Jewish Bible... And offshoots have a lot more information on them. The Native Americans were always fighting giants. And there's been legends and that have information um, that the Christian and Jewish Bible doesn't have. J- Jesus even said something about them coming back in the end times. And so I'll stop right there on Ronnie's comment. Um, so Ronnie, thanks for that message. And um, you know the, the, this is something I might even kind of get into in future episodes, talking about uh, the other books that were not included in the traditional Bible but just our ancient sources that I'll get to that in a second. So, yes, when Jesus was and I read the verse a few minutes ago, when Jesus was talking about the last days and he said it, you know, it'll be as it was in the days of Lot. And so um th- he's highlighting the fact that it was just business as usual up until the end. You know, that's what Jesus was was saying there. But then the day of the Lord suddenly comes upon everyone. You know, a lot of us we look at the headlines people who are paying attention, we see stuff in the news, and we think, man, it looks like God's return might be really, really near, you know, because we see so many aspects of the end times falling into place. But for the unbeliever, for them, they're, they're totally unaware of what's going on. They might know the economy is rough right now, but like, as far as they're concerned, life's just going to continue like usual. You know, yes, we have ups and downs, but the world is generally pretty peaceful. Some countries are at war, but most of them are doing fine. And when they say peace and safety, then it's going to be boom. You know, the end is going to come in like a flood. And that was what Jesus was getting at. What it's going to be like for the unbeliever, the unbeliever in Noah's day. He had no idea that the flood was near. They thought that Noah was just some nut job. Now for the Christian, of course, it's supposed to be different. We're supposed to pay attention to the times and seasons. We should be able to recognize the season. And and so what did Jesus mean when he said it'll be like the days of Noah? You know, that phrase, the days of Noah, it carried a lot of meaning to the Jewish people. They would read books like the book of Enoch. That's what Ronnie was talking about, I think. They would have understand, perhaps, that that reference to the days of Noah, it's not just talking about the complacency, the aloof state of the unbelieving world, but it might also be talking about the types of sins that will be present among mankind in those last days. The violence, the sexuality, the uh, the interactions between humans and fallen angels. You know, and again, that is that what Jesus meant too? It's a little bit mysterious, but it's a possibility. I would just say it's a possibility for sure because we see, see we see a lot of that lining up already. The sins in the days of Noah and the sins in the, in the days of Lot they seem to be repeating in the modern times, and the both of those are stories of when God's judgment finally fell, and it fell very quickly and very comprehensively, especially in Noah's case. So I just think that possibility is something we should take seriously. Okay. I got a comment next from Sean. It's a little it's a little bit more combative. It's re- it's referring to my theory about where the Nephilim came from after the flood. So there's a couple schools of thought on this. One that some of the Nephilim survived the flood, or two that some of the sons of God came down and they tried this thing again with human women and they created a second wave of Nephilim. That's that's my theory on it. Sean here has another theory. He says The Canaanites were offspring of Canaan. Ham saw his father's nakedness. To see your father's nakedness is to have relations with your mother. That's why the curse was put on the offspring of it, Canaan. The offspring of this behavior always have genetic problems. The Nephilim were pre-flood. The Rephaim were post-flood. You need to read your Bible. Leviticus 18.7. Okay, (laughs) so I just want to say, it's not accurate to say that Nephilim were only pre-flood because I did an episode a while back, it's called When the Nephilim Came Back. And I did one called Nephilim After the Flood. And I trace in there how the Nephilim came back, but it's somewhat mysterious, and their name did change over time, but they were called Nephilim. So I'm not going to regurgitate all that here. Numbers 1333. I mean, it says it right there, that it was the Nephilim again. So it's okay to call them Nephilim After the Flood. Now, on this idea of like, was Ham a Nephilim? Or was Noah's wife a Nephilim? Um, that's a theory some people kind of play with. I don't buy that. The main reason is that it just doesn't make sense. You know, with the purpose of the flood in the first place, God was obviously trying to wipe out the Nephilim because they nearly corrupted the whole human race. That's why Noah was chosen because he had a pure bloodline. So, if that was the point of all this, there was like then there was no point if, if for Nephilim to come on the ark with Noah. He wouldn't have brought any Nephilim with him you know so for this theory to work you have to assume some pretty outlandish things about about either noah or about noah's wife or one of noah's sons i guess you have to assume some pretty crazy things about them to make it work okay and i don't hey listen i believe some cr- some things that would be called crazy i'm okay with outlandish whenever it's weird i'm fine with being weird but when i say this is outlandish i'm 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 saying it's outlandish in the sense that it just doesn't make logical sense. It's something that raises more questions than it answers, and it relies on some, some assumptions that I think are pretty reaching. So it's much simpler just to think that the angels came down and tried it a second time. That, that makes perfect sense right there, because they did it the first time. They would just do it again the second time. So Now, there could be something about this idea of seeing someone's nakedness and that it could mean something sexual. I might, I might do an episode about that down the road trying to figure out exactly what Ham's sin was that was there in Genesis 9 or 10 where that happened. So that might be worth digging into. Um, but I don't think anybody who was on the Ark was part of the Nephilim bloodline. So that would be my answer to that. Okay, I want to include a mailbag right here. I actually received this, and I responded to it on my cross-references podcast. It was sent to that one. and um, But it has to do with the devil, and that's a subject that we've been covering at length right here. So I I thought I would share it, on this podcast as well. This came from Joe in North Carolina and talking about Satan, it said, note that uh, in in, Satan in the Garden of Eden. And he commented, note that the English word snake isn't found in the King James Version, but another synonym of serpent is dragon. But did snakes even exist before God cursed the serpent? And so I wanted to include this comment. I mean, I just answered it on my previous, on my other podcast, but I wanted wanted to share it here too, because I just think the information is kind of interesting. It's an interesting question. Did snakes exist before, God's cursed the, before God cursed the serpent? So, in my research that I've been doing the past few months, I learned that there is a Hebrew word for snake, and that word does not show up in Genesis 3. Genesis 3 uses the word nakash, and it can be translated serpent. It means basically the same. A serpent is basically the same as a snake. But the word serpent has more semantic meaning that's just packed into this word. It's a very... It's a very thick word, okay? It's a very heavy word. And so there's a lot of baggage that comes with it. And so that this word nakash, and I I think I've talked about it on this podcast, or maybe I've talked about it on Cross References, but I have a theory that snakes actually did have arms and legs before the fall. And what's kind of interesting about my theory is that, uh, well, it's not just my theory, lots of Christians share it, but also evolutionists share it. Um evolutionists from studying snake skeletons and fossils they believe that snakes had legs at one time four legs kind of like a lizard but with the longer body like a snake the, the the snakes originally had legs and I'm and I was watching this Pixar movie a few years back called The Good Dinosaur and there's a part in that movie where a snake comes out and the snake has it's very clearly a snake but it has arms and legs and so I, I remember one of the kids we were watching it with, they're like, "That a snake. Why does it have legs? I'm like, yeah, that is strange. So I Googled it, and the animators were saying that they had learned that evol- evolutionary scientists claimed that when you look at a snake skeleton, you see these little nubs, and that those nubs imply that at one time, snakes had arms and legs. And so they wanted to include... The movie, The Good Dinosaur, is set... In, in the evolutionist worldview, it's set, you know, millions of years ago. So these were ancient snakes. So they animated the snakes to have legs because they're saying these are the ancient snakes, the original snakes or whatever, um, prehistoric snakes. And so this was before they evolved. <laughs> it's kind of silly to evolve to lose their legs. How does that make sense with evolution? <laughs> like Why would you evolve and lose very important body parts like that? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't have to defend evolution. I don't believe in evolution. So that's for them to deal with. But they do say it; they do make the claim. Snakes used to have arms and legs. Well, that's just so interesting to me, because that's exactly what the Bible says about ancient snakes, which I'm sure is just a coincidence. The Bible says in Genesis three that God cursed the serpent to lose his arms and legs and said, "From now on, you will crawl on your belly." So there you go. There, there, (laughs) congratulations for figuring that out, evolutionists. Great job you know, go get, give yourselves a Nobel prize or whatever. But the Bible told us this thousands of years ago. So that's, that's kind of what I believe too. I believe Genesis three. And it's just interesting when science and the Bible, when they correspond like that. So I wanted to include that here. Let me give one more comment on the Nephilim episodes. Uh, There's a comment on one of those episodes that said, go look in Iceland. (laughs) That was all it said. (laughs) So I don't know how to respond to that because I require some elaboration to go look in Iceland. Um, but I did try googling it to figure out what this comment was talking about. I couldn't really find anything except I will say this, there are some parallels between the Nephilim stories from the Bible and Norse mythology. You know, and which Norse mythology is something that was very heavily it was very common in Iceland and and in some of the Scandinavian nations going back hundreds of years ago. So, in Norse mythology, they believe in the ancient giants, and they believe these giants descended from an angelic being who was named Ymir. I'm probably not saying it right. I'm sure not saying it right, but the giants came from Ymir, and Ymir came from a cow deity. Okay, that is not a joke. And I've been learning about Norse mythology a little bit lately, and so and it, it's just kind of downright. Fascinating to me that so much of it really does intersect with the Bible. Because, you know, if what the Bible teaches about the giants, if that is real history, and I believe it is, then it's no surprise that we would see other places around the world who have stories of the ancient giants. And that's exactly what we do see. Every civilization has stories of how in the ancient world there were things like giants, and they have stories about an ancient flood. They talk about the end of the world uh, in Norse mythology. It's called Ragnarok. It's their own. They have their own apocalypse apocalypse story. I am not saying that Norse mythology is true. Okay, don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying it's just, I find it so interesting that the more I learn about it, everything I see intersects with some kind of spiritual truth that we also find in the, in Christianity. Even things that most Christians don't know about. You know, things like godlike beings who are placed in charge of different sectors of the world things like giants, a, th- a cow-like deity, which, you know, Satan, according to the Bible, he has a cow-like face. He's a cherub. And and so the, it's just interesting how the ancient peoples know a lot of things that modern Christians don't. Mo- things that are true about spiritual reality, and modern Christians have no idea. But it's like, well, the people who believe Norse mythology in Iceland hundreds of years ago, they believed it. <laughs> they knew about this stuff. So it's just something I find very, very fascinating and so hey i'm sure if i could go to iceland i probably would learn a thing or two and so um and you know on this thing about norse mythology i'm very much a noob at it but let me just pose i'll pose this question to my to my listeners because i've been answering your questions let me ask you a question do you know of anything in norse mythology that intersects with christian truth do you know of anything and that's that's just a subject that i find that i have found fascinating lately and so i'm just going to put that out there if you want to leave a comment or send me an email if you know of anything and that might be something interesting to dig into. Bible, at gmail.com. Okay, I'm gonna close down here. Hey, I want to thank you all for tuning into this podcast. I've only had like 13 episodes of Weird Stuff in the Bible so far. This one is the 14th. And I've had episodes already get hundreds and hundreds of listens. So like I'm like, this is off to a great start. You know, I started podcasting in 2021 with my cross references podcast and i'm still doing that one right now i'm at a, about 110 episodes for cross references and i love doing that one it's a it's a pure joy those episodes can be a bit longer than these um but i have to tell you cross references did not take off nearly as much as weird stuff in the bible did like i already have more subscribers with 13 episodes of weird stuff than i did with 110 episodes of cross-references right now. I already have more with just 13 episodes of weird stuff. So, hey, there's apparently an audience out here for this, and I want to thank you for being a subscriber. And if you're not one, if you're listening right now, go ahead and subscribe. And um, let's let's just help this show get off to a good start. It already is, and I just want to say thank you to everybody who's tuned in and, and left these positive comments and really encouraged me to keep going with it. So, so then I have this announcement. I, I got to take a couple of weeks off, though. <laughs> and it, it is a terrible time. To take a little break um you know because we got this momentum going here and i'm loving it but i just got to be honest i need a couple weeks to refresh myself um uh, ever since i got sick around new year's like i am just constantly playing catch up with myself Uh, and i mean i'm still working a full-time job i'm still doing cross-references but like I, i i i'm putting out these episodes and sometimes just getting them out a day or two before they they actually post for you to hear And I don't like being rushed. I like to take my time, stay a few weeks ahead, and then I have time to go in and tweak things and and try to make the episodes better. So I would like to just take a couple weeks off to catch up with myself. And so I hope you will be back with me um, here at the end of February or beginning of March when I'm back. But uh, in the meantime, if you are a new subscriber, go back and give a listen to some of those early episodes, the ones from November and December. They really form the foundation for everything that this show has been about. So while I'm gone for the next couple weeks, go back and refresh yourself on that. And uh, I can't wait to be back. Thank you again for being here now. And if you think that believing snakes originally had legs is weird, I hope that you're a little bit more weird today, too. Thanks for listening. God bless you for sticking around till the end. And we'll see you next time.